Let's take our Bibles, if you have your Bibles here this morning, and uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16. And I think for most of us here uh, this morning, as we think about Luke chapter number 16, we probably have an idea of the direction of where the message is going today. And uh, I've prayed much about the message that the Lord would have me to bring uh, for this chapel hour, and I feel very confident that this is what the Lord would have me to preach. And so we'd like to uh, speak about just briefly uh, here this morning uh, on the subject of hell, on the doctrine of hell. And uh, it's, not a, it's not a message or, or a subject that, that I truly enjoy preaching about, probably one of my least uh, favorite subjects, and I think you preachers would understand. But at the same time, it's a, it's a doctrine, it's a subject that we must be reminded of uh, in our Christian life for us to maintain our zeal and our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially in the area of reaching souls for Him. And so Luke chapter number 16, and a very familiar uh, story here that we find the Lord uh, giving, starting in verse number 19 and down to verse uh, number 31. We know this is not a parable. Uh, these are real people that the Lord is speaking about, and we find that here with the name uh, that the Lord gives to the beggar whose name is Lazarus, uh, and then also the certain rich man that he speaks about in Luke chapter number 16. And so starting in verse 19, uh, down to verse number 31. The Bible reads in verse number 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed with purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this uh, time that you've given to us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this, uh, Lord, the institution of this college, Lord, the, the church that you've established in this place, and, and just the work that they're doing for the gospel to reach this community uh, concerning the things of the Lord. And Father, I pray this morning as we look into Luke chapter number 16, as we study a passage that we've uh, probably studied many of us uh, many times within our Christian life, I pray, Lord, once again this morning that you would stir our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to realize and be reminded once again concerning the reality of hell, that, that Lord, after this life is done, the only thing that's going to count is what we did for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Father, we need to go out there and we need to let people know about the good news, that God loves them that you died for them, and Lord, as, as the men just sung just a moment ago, that, that you came for us, you shed your blood on the cross, that we might be saved, and then we might turn around and tell others about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you'd bless this hour. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this message, use it for your glory and for your honor, 
and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. One of the most difficult doctrines or beliefs for every single Christian here this morning is the belief in the existence of a literal place called hell. Oftentimes, as we think about the doctrine of hell, there are commonly three responses to that. First of all, I think about those that would simply deny the doctrine of hell, and I'm always shocked and surprised that even those that are professing believers that would deny the existence of a literal place called hell. Oftentimes, they would tell themselves that hell is too cruel. Uh, they would tell themselves that they can't believe in a loving God who would send people to hell and to suffer in agony for all of eternity, and they do not properly understand the attribute concerning the holiness of our God. And oftentimes they would deny the doctrine of hell, and as they do that, not realizing that they must also deny Jesus Christ himself, for Jesus Christ was the one who taught on the subject of hell more than he did on the subject of heaven. I think about what one author wrote. He said, the doctrine of eternal punishment in hell is not pleasant, but you cannot accept Jesus and reject hell because he taught it so plainly and so frequently. And so oftentimes as we think about the subject of hell, some would simply desire to deny it and they simply desire to refute the doctrine that we find plainly in the word of God. But then there are those, and, and I believe most Christians fall into this category, they, they might not deny the doctrine of hell, but then they choose to ignore it. Uh, they don't want to study it. They don't want to hear about the doctrine of hell. They don't want to expound upon it. And uh, they proclaim that they believe it, but they don't like to uh, hear it in preaching and teaching. They don't like the conviction that it brings whenever they hear concerning the doctrine of hell and really the responsibility for every Christian to go out there and to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is here this morning, just because we decide to ignore the doctrine of hell doesn't change the reality of the existence of hell, and it doesn't change our responsibility that we have concerning the Great Commission to go soul winning and to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. R.A. Torrey said, if you in any way abate the doctrine of hell, it will abate your zeal. And so there are some that desire to deny the doctrine of hell. There are some that desire to ignore it and dismiss it and put it aside. But then there are those that decide to embrace it. Uh, there are those who read the Bible and they realize we don't understand everything about hell and we cannot fully comprehend the infinite mind of God, but we do believe the Bible to be true in its entirety. We believe that God is always good. We believe that God is absolutely perfect. We believe God is always fair and therefore I will embrace my responsibility to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we study the Bible, the Bible is very clear here this morning concerning the existence of hell, uh, concerning the lake of fire, concerning a place of eternal punishment and eternal torment that exists for those that deny and reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, the Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then I think about Revelations chapter number 20, verse number 14. It says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And you see here this morning, if we believe concerning the doctrine of a place called heaven, 
If we believe this morning literally that there's a place called heaven, a place where joy lasts forever, a place of eternal bliss, a place of eternal comfort, a place of no sorrow, a place of no tears, a place where believers will reside for all of eternity, then we must also believe in a place called hell where the wrath of God is poured upon the unrepentant sinner, a place of torment and a place of suffering for the same Bible here this morning and the same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught about the place called heaven and also taught very plainly and clearly concerning a place called hell. And therefore here this morning it behooves each and every one of us if we are Bible believers, if we literally believe everything in the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelations, that we're not simply looking at hell as a doctrine that we apply within our lives figuratively, but we believe it literally according to the scriptures that we find in the word of God, then it behooves us here this morning that we must be busy in the business of witnessing and we must be diligent in the work of winning souls for Jesus Christ. And it must not be something that we do when it's convenient. It must not be something that we do haphazardly here this morning, but, but with all of our hearts and with all of our strength, we must fervently and compassionately and persistently tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly believe the Bible and we truly believe that there literally is a place that lost sinners will go for all of eternity, and that place is a place called hell. We must be busy in the work that God has called us to do. I think about a man by the name of Charles Peace. He was a notorious criminal in England. He was executed on February the 25th, 1879. And the story is told that before his execution, a minister visited him and half-heartedly read to him what was called the consolations of religion. And he said something along these lines. He said, those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying, without the release which death itself can bring. And to this, Charles Peace responded to that minister, and he said these words. He said, Sir, if I believed what you and the Church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. And you see here today, if we truly believe in a place called hell, then I ask you this question, do we truly have a compassion for the lost? Uh, do we truly have a desire to see lost sinners come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we burdened concerning the lost condition uh, of our friends and family and our community? Do we wish for sinners to be saved? Charles Spurgeon said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. And I think about the burden in the heart of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible reads there, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And when our Savior saw the sheep, when he saw them scattered abroad, not knowing the chief shepherd, not knowing the reality of, of their life and what happens after this life is over, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. He was compelled within his heart. And, and we find here the love and the heart of our Savior. And likewise, here this morning, we must have that heart. And we must have that compassion just like our Savior had as we look to towards the world and as we recognize the reality of this doctrine. It must move us within our hearts and compel us to be a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at Luke chapter number 16 here this morning, I believe there are several realizations and truths that we find here within this passage that will compel us 
and revive us in this area of growing in our zeal to be a witness for our Savior. And so first of all, notice with me, uh, as we look at this passage, I find first of all, there's a determined period. There's a determined period. In Luke chapter 16, verse number 22, the Bible says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. You see, it does not matter what kind of life we live here on this earth. It did not matter if they were rich or poor. But the Bible is very clear here this morning that eventually we all come to the same appointment, and that appointment is with death. It is unavoidable, it is inevitable, and the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And we must recognize here today this morning, and that is that every life has an end if the Lord tarries, and, and therefore every day that we're alive, we're drawing nearer to that appointed time, that determined time that we find in the Bible. And therefore, life is very short. And life is very frail here this morning. And the Bible teaches us in James chapter 4, verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. And that's the example, that's the illustration that the Lord uses here. And uh, James writes about it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, that, that life is simply a vapor. It appears just for a moment and then it disappears in, in just a moment's time. And that's how short our life is and, and that's how frail our life is. And therefore, we must live every single day with an urgency because we do not know how long we will live on this earth. At the same time, we do not know how long others will live on this earth. And therefore, if all of us are moving towards that determined time, then there must be an urgency and a fire within our hearts that today is the day of salvation. And today we must go, and today we must knock on that door, and today we must visit that bus kid, and, and today we must send that email, and today we need to make that phone call, and, and today we must try to reach somebody with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is a determined time. I think about many years ago when I was working for my father at his church uh, down in Gardena, I was his assistant pastor, and there was a family that we used to pick up in this uh, gated community. And uh, I know as soon as we think about a gated community, we have a picture, an idea of what a gated community looks like and, and the nice fancy walls and the security station at the front and, and uh, the high walls to keep the crime out. This place was a little bit different. It, it was a gated community, but really it seemed like it was there to keep the crime inside that gated community. There was maybe about 500, 600 units there within that place. And every time we'd go in there, you'd, you'd drive around that gated community, and, and it was just poor. It was run down. You'd see children running all over the place without T-shirts, without shoes on their feet. And, and oftentimes, you'd see drug, uh, drug dealers dealing their drugs in front of their home at their porch. And, and I remember even one time going there and driving a vehicle to try to pick up that family. And, and there was a group of men just sitting right in the middle of the street, and they were smoking something. And, and I waited for a while for them to move, but they wouldn't budge. I honked the horn and they still wouldn't move. They just sat there. And so, so I had to make a U-turn and go around the other direction. And, and that was the kind of gated community this place was. And I remember going there back and forth. And, and uh, several of us went there to pick up this family. And after some time, we just started really developing a burden on how we might be able to reach this community with the gospel. And so we decided that throughout the summer months, we'll... We'll, we'll get our buses at the church and we'll load them up with, with, uh, with chairs and, and we'll rent out their community center and we'll hold kind of, a, kind of a vacation Bible school every single Saturday right there within that gated community. 
And so we got the approval, we were able to do it, and, and uh, for about eight weeks or so, we were able to hold that outreach project that we had, saw hundreds of them come through, and hundreds of them trust Christ as their personal Savior. And then afterwards, we were able to run buses into that community and start bringing them out to the church. And I remember throughout that outreach project, there was a little girl by the name of Talmila. She was in the fourth grade, and she had three siblings, and we got to know them pretty well. And, and uh, afterwards, even after that outreach project was done, we were able to pick them up, and they came out to our vacation Bible school. And I remember on one of the days that we had our VBS, I was teaching the third and fourth grade class, and, and I remember seeing Talmila. She came in. She was the only visitor that day in that class, and, and she sat right there. She listened attentively. And I remember giving that Bible study, and our practice was at, at our church when we had Vacation Bible School. It was after the Bible study time when we broke up into smaller groups. That's, that's when we would give our invitation. That's when we would counsel the, the children concerning salvation. And, and so that was my job. That was my responsibility. And I don't remember exactly what happened now at this point, but, but we must have been busy that day. We must have been behind schedule. I have no idea exactly, but I remember uh, just things weren't going exactly according to plan. And, and by the end of that Bible study, I remember I ended up skipping the invitation. And, uh, and I thought to myself, well, Talmila's the only person here. She's, she's the only new student, and, and I'm sure she's going to come back. I mean, we got five days of this VBS. She's going to love it. She's going to come back for the market, and uh, we're going to have another opportunity to share with her the gospel. And, and so I ended up skipping that invitation, and we moved on to the very uh, next event that was planned in that VBS. Well, Talmila never returned to that vacation Bible school. And time had passed, and, and I remember that her family came to the church every once in a while here and there afterwards through our bus ministry, but I never had the opportunity to teach her class again. I never had the opportunity to inquire about her soul and to share with her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and after a while, they just kind of slowly stopped coming to the church. And I remember it was on a Sunday night. And at that time, I was, I was here at Bible College, West Coast Baptist, and, and I was going back and forth on extension ministry to my dad's church. And, and I remember I was coming back and, and coming off the 14, just tired, exhausted. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I was driving down Avenue M. I remember exactly where I was. And as I was coming back to the dorms, I received a phone call. And I looked down at the caller ID. It was one of the teachers of our church. And I thought it was kind of odd. Why would he call me at this time? It's 11 o'clock. He knows I'm going back to the college and going back to the dorms. Why would he call me? And, and I answered that phone. And the first thing he asked me, he said, Paul, he said, do you remember Talmila? And I said, of course I do. I, I taught her vacation Bible school class. And I remember the family. I remember the boys. I remember the siblings. And yes, I remember Talmila. And I remember at that point, there was an awkward moment of silence. And I could hear him taking a deep breath on the other side of the line. And he said, Paul, I just received news that last night their house burned down to the ground. He said, every child was in the house. None of the kids made it out alive. And I remember that night, I was about five minutes away from the dorm, and I rushed into my dorm room, and I fell on my face next to my bed, and I begged God, and I begged God. I said, Lord, would you please forgive me that I never shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I remember for the next several weeks, I'd go back to the church and I'd do the same thing. As soon as I entered into the door, I'd go through all the files and I'd find all the decision cards and I'd be going through it and through the bus ministry, through the Sunday school ministry, through outreach events. And, and was there Talmila? Was there ever a time that we recorded that Talmila trusted Jesus as her personal savior? And never once, we never found that decision card. And up to this day, we have no idea if she made that profession of faith and placed her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I always thought during that time, we'd have more time uh, she, she's a young girl. She'll come back. She'll be here for some other event. We'll have some time to share with her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we didn't have that time. There was a determined period. We don't know when that determined period is for any of us here this morning. We don't know what it is for anybody else out there in the world. And therefore, we must have urgency and we must share the gospel today. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And so we find here in the scriptures, first of all, in Luke chapter number 16, we find the determined period. But then I want you to notice with me as we continue in verse 23, we find here the determined punishment. And the Bible says there in verse 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And immediately after the rich man died, the Bible teaches us that he found himself in hell. He found himself in torment. And we find as we think about this place called hell, according to Luke 16, it is a painful place, the Bible teaches us. In verse 24, the Bible says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is tormented or comforted, and thou art tormented. And we think about that word tormented. It speaks about anguish, and it speaks about distress, and it speaks about being sorrowful. And the Bible teaches us that hell is a painful place. It's a place of physical torment. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 49, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The Bible also teaches us that hell is a place of no rest. In Revelations 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. The Bible also teaches us here this morning that hell is a place of darkness in Matthew 8, 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 12, verse number 2, it teaches us that it's a place of emotional and mental torment as well. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible teaches us it's a place that is painful. It's a place of torment. It's a place of constant regret as they realize that they could have, they could have received Jesus Christ. They had their opportunity and they had their chance, but now they are here in this everlasting contempt in a place called hell. And so we find here it's a painful place. The Bible also teaches in Luke 16, 26, that it's a permanent place. And the Bible reads, and beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. 
And Abraham says here to the rich man, it's impossible. You can't escape that place. Uh, there's no way that you can come to us. There's no way that, that we can go to you. That's your eternal abode. That's where you will reside for all of eternity. And the Bible teaches us that hell is not just for a day. It's not just for a week. It's not just for a month. It doesn't last for a few years or a century or a millennium. But the Bible teaches us that it's for all of eternity. It's everlasting destruction according to the word of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, In flaming fire taketh vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In Revelations chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then in verse number 14, it describes a little bit more about the second death. And it says, And death and hell were cast into that same lake of fire. This is the second death. And you see, hell is eternal this morning. There is no escape. The torment will last forever. The pain and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth will last for all of eternity. I don't know if you've ever been burned before, and I've never seriously been burned. I remember when I was in high school, we used to play around with fire every once in a while. I remember one time having all of my eyebrows burned because of a prank that we played, but that was probably the closest I ever got to being seriously burned. But I could never imagine placing my finger in a fire for, for longer than one second. I don't think any of us would place our finger in the fire or over the stove and, and just kind of keep it there. Oh, this feels pretty warm and this feels pretty nice. And I don't think any of us would do that in our right mind. But immediately we pull that out. I could never imagine being in the fire for five seconds or even 50 seconds or even a minute or five minutes. But you see here, the reality of the Bible teaches us that those that do not receive Jesus Christ... Those neighbors, those in our community, those friends, those family members, those cousins that we have, those little children that ride on our buses, if they do not receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will go to this place which is a painful, tormented place, not only physically but mentally and emotionally. At the same time, it will last forever. For all of eternity, they will suffer in that place, suffering under the wrath of Almighty God. It's a permanent place. In Matthew 3.12, the Bible says, Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so we find here in Luke chapter number 16, there's a determined period. There's a determined punishment, a painful place, a permanent place. But then I want you to notice with me, we also find that there's a determined plan. And there's a plan for deliverance. And there's a plan that we find here for salvation. And in verse number 27, the Bible says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. The rich man begs Abraham to send Lazarus now to his family and reach them with the gospel that they might not end up in the place where he was suffering but to this request, Abraham refuses because he knows it will not work. 
And Abraham responds with a determined method. He gives them a determined plan. And first of all, this determined plan for salvation begins with the word of God. In verse 29, the Bible says, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Speaking about the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses, and also the writings of the Old Testament, the scriptures, the prophets. He says, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And you see here this morning the determined plan of God in bringing people to repentance and salvation is not through some type of a vision. Uh, it's not through some type of sign in the sky, but the Bible is very clear that it is through the scriptures, it is through the power of the word of God that one comes under conviction and one repents and receives Jesus Christ as their personal savior. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, the simplicity of preaching, to save them that belief. And it is through the simple preaching of the gospel, the simple truth of the good news that yes, we are all sinners, and, and yes, we are all condemned, and yes, we all abide under the wrath of God, and we deserve eternity in a place called hell, but by the love of God and by the grace of God, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he came down to this earth, and he died on the cross of Calvary for your your sins and for my sins and for the sins of all the world. And if one would simply place their faith and trust and receive Jesus as their personal Savior, the Bible teaches at that very moment, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's by faith alone through the grace of God. It's not through faith and then also through works. It's not through the baptistry. It's not through some religiosity. It's not through some good works that they do. But the Bible teaches by faith alone, if they place their faith in Christ, then they can be uh, rescued from the depths of hell and they could be eternally reserved in a place called heaven with the Lord. And that's what the word of God teaches us here this morning. And I think about Romans chapter 116, the Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the gospel of Christ. It is the power, and we've studied that word, dunamis, the dynamite, miraculous power. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And thank God this morning we don't abide by the false doctrines of Calvinism, but the Bible teaches that whosoever goes out there and whosoever hears the word of God and places their faith in Jesus Christ, they can be saved. They shall be saved according to the Bible. And all the power and all the persuasion that we need here this morning to bring lost people to repentance, to turn a world upside down uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ and to see lost people saved is found in the power of the gospel, which is found in the Bible, which is the word of God. I think about Dwight Lyman Moody, and I think about a testimony of an atheist that went to his meeting, and although he had not thought of such a result afterwards, he was converted. He decided to go just to criticize and ridicule uh, Mr. Moody concerning his preaching, and, but at the end of the service, he fell under conviction, and he trusted Christ as a Savior, and when his friends asked him what took place and what changed his heart throughout that service, this was how he responded. He said, I went to hear Mr. Moody with no other idea than to have something to laugh at. 
I knew he was no scholar, and I felt sure I could find many flaws in his argument. But I found I could not get at the man. He stood there hiding behind the Bible and just fired one Bible text after another at me till they went home to my heart straight as bullets from a rifle. I tell you, Moody's power is in the way he has his Bible at the tip of his tongue. And there might be some of us here this morning thinking, well, I don't know if I can lead someone to the Lord, and I don't know if I have that type of uh, personality. I don't know if I know all the verses, and I don't know if I have that type of skill or talent, but let me encourage you here this morning. You have the dunamis power of God right there within your hands, and if you have a Bible and you have the scriptures, then you can go out there to this world, and, and you can tell them about the good news that God loves them and Jesus died for their sins, and they could be saved, and their life can be completely transformed by the power of of the word of God. And that's what Abraham was telling this rich man. He said, hey, even if somebody came back from the dead, they're not going to listen to that. You have more power in the prophets and in Moses and the scriptures within the word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In Hebrews 4:12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we find here the determined plan. It begins with the word of God, but then it continues, and it desperately needs then witnesses for God. It desperately needs witnesses for God. And the determined plan to give hope to the lost not only needs the word of God, but it also needs witnesses to share and give the gospel that is found in the word of God. For the scriptures have the power to change lives, but not by simply sitting on our bookshelves gathering dust, it must be propagated. And the word of God must be taken, it must be shared, and somebody must go, and somebody must leave their comfort zone and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter number 10, we find there the greatest promise within the Bible, but at the same time, we find the greatest problem that follows in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then we find verse number 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in whom? they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and then in verse number 15 and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things and you see God could have sent angels if he desired to and God could have written the gospel message in the sky if he wanted to, but in his sovereignty and in his wisdom here this morning, God has desired and designed to use human instrumentality, and he's given us the message that we might take it as ambassadors, that we might be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And over and over throughout the Bible, we find the emphasis on the feet. And we find it here in Romans chapter 10, verse number 15, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Because we might have the gospel on our lips, but if our feet don't go, then it's never going to reach somebody else that is lost with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about in Ephesians chapter number 6, we find there concerning the whole armor of God. And the Bible says, put on the loins that are girt about with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and put on the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and go out there and wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But right in the middle of all of that, the Bible says, don't forget to put on your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And constantly throughout the scriptures, the Lord says, go. The Lord says, go and tell somebody about the gospel. Go and tell somebody in a community that God loves them and Jesus died for them. I'm not against the come and see. 
And there's people out there that rely solely on come and see and hear the gospel. I'm not against that, but we ought to also at the same time go and tell the world that they are lost without the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In Mark 16, 15 it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in all of my years that I've been saved as a Christian and also the time that I've spent in ministry, I've never had one person come and look for me. I've never had one person come and knock on my office door and say, hey, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And, and could you please share with me the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not suggesting here this morning that that never happens, but I can safely say here this morning that it's a rarity, and in my personal life, it has never happened before. And every single person that I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with, except for within the church service, are people that I needed to go and find they were people that I had to confront with the gospel that they're a sinner, that God loves them, and that Jesus died for them. I needed to go and tell them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we might have the desire to witness. We might know all the evangelism verses to witness, but until we go, whether that's going to a friend, or maybe going to your coworker this afternoon, or or maybe going door to door throughout this community with gospel tracts, we must go. For if we do not go, in most cases, we will never have the experience of winning the lost people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us might think here this morning, I don't know who to go to. And could I suggest today, just take a drive down Lancaster Boulevard. Uh, just go out to the west side, go to the next neighborhood, look at the school across the way. And we're surrounded with lost people. We're surrounded with people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe with all my heart, if we would get stirred up about going, if, 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 if we together would be revived when it comes to the zeal and the reality that hell is real, that everybody will either go to heaven or hell. I believe we can make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe we can turn upside down our community with the good news concerning the gospel. Some people say it's not my business. That's too personal of a decision for me to go and to confront somebody with the gospel. But let me remind you here this morning that the highest authority, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one that's given us authority. He's the one that has commissioned us. And therefore, this morning, it is our business. It is our calling that as we go and have lunch at McDonald's, as we go and go to our workplace, as we walk throughout this community, it is our business to inquire about their soul. If you die today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And this morning, if we believe the Bible and we believe in the reality of hell, then it must compel us to go. I believe it was Pendulette, the comedian, the magician, the man who defies and denies the things of the Lord. I believe it was him. He received a Bible from a Christian, and afterwards he said something along these lines. He said, if you Christians truly believe the Bible, if you truly believe that those that die without Christ will spend eternity in a burning lake of fire, he said, then you are the least loving people in the world. Yeah. 
that you would believe that with all of your hearts, and yet you do not share it with others. You do not go passionately, fervently to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that some of us would get stirred up. And some of us this afternoon, we'd clear out maybe an hour or two, grab some gospel tracks, get a map or whatever you need to do, and just go and let God do the rest. It's God's job to do the saving, but it's our job to go and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.